Well, welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. Welcome back. Oh, dearie Christ in heaven. Bloody Nora. You know, some people you just can't please. It doesn't matter what you do, you just can't please them. Anyway, um, guys, how are you doing? It's, it is the Limehouse Podcast. Can you believe it? Yeah. Jesus wept. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's right in your ears. It's right in your ears. And if you close your eyes, then it's right in your face as well. You've just got to imagine it. Um, it's Pat Nevin week. He's got a book out. The Accidental Footballer. I've read it cover to cover. And I really, really enjoyed it. I really did. I just have to say, right now, my hand is over my heart, covering my chest. And I'm just saying, uh, I loved it. I'm dedicating my soul to it. And I love it. Personally, I think it could have been called The Alternative Footballer. Because of the amount of alternative stuff he seeks out. Most of the time, he's more dedicated to going seeing, not dedicated to, but he's very dedicated to his sport, obviously. But he's also dedicated to his um, other side of his life that in, that that makes him who he is. So going to gigs and what have you, and um, I don't know, a, a museum, an exhibition, that kind of thing. So um, an amazing, an amazing, interesting footballer when you consider the 70s and the 80s, you know, kind of the culture around football. Should we say, even to a, to a degree today, isn't exactly open to alternative culture and um, and what have you. I mean, he also talks about racism in in football within within the book, which is funny because I just was watching Southampton the other day on the telly and the players took the knee and you heard some booing. And yeah, that's happened. That's still happening a lot, isn't it? The booing when when players take the knee. Why the fuck do people do that? Someone has to fucking tell me outside of the fact that they are stupid and ignorant. What is driving that kind of behaviour? It's absolutely hysterically pathetic. Who the fuck does that? No, it's a deliberate action, right? They can't just shut up and keep their racist, xenophobic insanity to themselves and know that it's vile and cretinous. They have to make the statement, like they have to go out of their way. That's what always gets me. It's what always upsets me the most. And, if, you know, there are family ends, right, at football stadiums. So you have a fucking family sat there and the little boy who's been like in COVID land for like the past year and a half and has been watching football and seeing the players take a knee and his mum or dad going, look, at this is why they're doing it. This is why the players are doing it. It's because we, we've got to show respect to the people in society that have taken hectic amounts of shit over decades. And then some fucking prick behind them goes, oh, um, boo. Boo these fuckers for taking the knee. It's insane. And next to a child. I mean, imagine what happens in that child's head. That poor kid. Fucking hell. We live in a really messed up society. And Pat and I touch on this, I think. I think we talk a lot about that. And Kelly Cates and I had a conversation a while back, which we talked about homophobia and racism within football. And I think we got to, um, I don't know, we got to somewhere where it was quite cool and interesting. You know, it's it's tough with racism because I I always feel like I never know where the the fuck I, how how I ever get to the bottom of it. And I've tried, obviously, when when this podcast was political, I have tried to unearth... What drives people to this madness and and what have you? And I and I and I don't know how to eloquently or 
you know, I don't know how to articulate it. And therefore, we need people like Pat Nevin who have been in the game and who are fantastic with words to help us. <sighs> anyway, I'm stressed out. That's just what happens with lockdown. I'm getting fucking sick and tired of it. I mean, the fact that we're coming out of lockdown is one thing. That's good. But the other one is just like, oh my God, you know, there's so much wrong with society. It's, it's, it's insane. Breaks my heart. So breaks, so breaks my heart. You know what it does? It just so breaks my heart. Unbreak my heart. Say you'll not be racist again. So anyway, Limehouse Podcast World, I'll just pivot, shall I? Hey, Limehouse Podcast listeners, do you want to repay the creator, the host of the Limehouse Podcast? Yes, you do, don't you? How do you repay him? You repay him for months and years of endless, incredible podcasting episodes by going to www.somedaysadiamonds.co.uk. Yeah, anyway, uh, go there. Go to somedaysadiamonds.co.uk and check out the the, <laughs> the, the stuff that's on the website, which is um, a, a, a short film, The Name. There's a comedy pilot based around my experience in bands within Guildford. Guildford. And uh, lots of other things, like the music that I've written, for example, and beyond that, I mean, God, uh, the, the, the Limehouse podcast blog, Jesus, and episodes, somedaysadiamonds.co.uk. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it? Isn't it? Like, if you want to pay things, pay something forward and, and, and pay me, not pay me back, but just like go, hey, man, going to support you, going to help you with your creativity. Anyway, enjoy this chat. Pat Nevin is an absolute wonderful man, an absolute superstar, the alternative footballer, okay? But in this case, the accidental footballer. Go check his book out, read it. His um, audiobook is also very sexy. A little bit like you. You are very sexy. Keep wearing that thing. I love it. I love it. Put those shoes back on, though. It's, it's much more my thing, okay? <laughs> Um, love this, mate. Have you got through some of it? I've got it. I've got done it all. I did it all in about two days. I never do that. I'm I'm quite a slow reader. Um, not because I'm a football fan uh, <laughs> or a Southampton fan, but just because I, I like to take my time. And if I had, and if it wasn't for the fact this interview, I probably would have let let it go on for a little bit longer. And but I just it just flew through it. It's so good. I absolutely love it. It's such a page turner. I, um, I have no idea because I just sat down and wrote it so I don't know if it's yeah. good, bad, indifferent I, I just said what I thought and hopefully tried to make it fairly entertaining <laughs> Well, it's very you, Pat like I don't I don't know the only thing I, I know you from podcasts and a bit of radio and a lot of radio um, but it's very you uh, you know and that's that's really cool it's just like you're, you're, you're being Pat Nevin and not, not everyone does that in their, in their autobiographies do they? Um, I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I see. I don't read that many autobiographies, which is probably a good thing. So, yeah, wasn't kind of pushing it to be like anyone else's. I mean, the only one was um, a while back, quite a while back, because I've been asked to write read it for write it for a long time, as I'd mentioned, and yeah. I kind of put it off. 
and then I read um, Adam Kay's book, and then okay, it just yeah. made me think. Actually, you can just have a laugh. <laughs> it doesn't need to be, you know, too heavy really to answer the questions of the the planet. You know, you just need to be yourself. Um, yeah. And it kind of gave me a bit, and also it was a, one or two technical things I, I kind of learned a wee bit from that as well, which is really handy. I needed some technical help with one or two things because yeah. the structure of it, I had in my mind how the structure was going to go. But my problem, like like a lot of Scots, is like like if you listen to Billy Conley, he'll tell you a story and then he's off somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else before he comes back to it again. It's hard yeah. to do that in a book, but of course the way around it is to have these long notes. Yeah, they're they're long notes, aren't they? I love it. It's because it's, it's almost like oh, that could that's so good that it, this book could be a, 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 a quite a bit bigger. But maybe there's another book in there. I kept thinking that there's like oh, there's another there's another story in here somewhere. Like there's Pat Nevin too. Right, but not for general knowledge. But part two is finished. Oh, <laughs> I finished part there two you, two days ago. There you go. So, so can uh, this. Because this is going to go out in May. Is that allowed to go out, or are you um, is that allowed to be? I think that would annoy my publishers because they don't know yet. <laughs> Great. So now I've got to go back and edit it. You, how dare you make me do work, Nevin? <laughs> um, uh, well, that's great. We can't talk about that. That's effing annoying. Don't worry about I'd love that. to see talk about that. the last one, so don't worry about that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's, that. Yeah, that is quite true. Here's a, the here's a way around it, and this is the way around it. Where the book finishes is when I leave Everton. Yeah. yeah, kind of done a lot of really weird things after that, so we'd kind of daft to stop it there because yeah. you know, decorative and I'm a player chief exec and I'd done mad union work and so all sorts of stuff. So there was lots of places to go after that, so I just kept going anyway. I was enjoying yeah. it, that's the point. I love the writing, yeah, yeah, man. Like, seriously, it, it really comes across like you're just total joy, and there's a lot of love and affection, even when things aren't going so well like there's a lot of love and affection in the early years especially I really I was like a lot of me was thinking this is definitely transferable into a film like there's definitely <laughs> cinematic moments and and all that kind of stuff which is cool that's what you want from an autobiography like I'm reading Michael Bradley's um, autobiography from The Undertones the bass player and there are similarities between you guys they're like accidental rock and rollers and he also had a funny dog uh, and um, and stuff. <laughs> That's not only just not not only just that. There's a lot of other stuff like, obviously, like the, the music side of things. Because half of me thinks I want to get into the music side of things um, at some point. But half of me does think like this this book, what you've written, like is it kind of reads a little bit like a rock starry kind of thing. Not star, but do you know what I mean, like a musiciany yeah. kind of thing. Well, as I kind of, oh, you'll notice that most of my mates are musicians anyway. And you're talking about yeah. under, undertones, and I know the new brothers. And JJ was a big Chelsea fan anyway. So, you know, so the undertones were Chelsea fans. <laughs> so I knew them. By that time, they'd become that petrol emotion. And I, don't, I can't remember if it stayed in the book, but I went and see the undertones last ever gig. So anything you talk to me about, I'll bring it back to music. Generally, yeah, <laughs> good. Feel, this is good. This is good because I had to do the same thing. So I'd feel much more comfortable at that. And I've always felt there was uh, there's so many you know areas where there's similarities, and they are you know. But Maze is an odd one because there are outsiders in the music world, and there are outsiders in 
the football world as there are in every walk of life. And I think the, yeah. you know, one of the biggest points of the whole book was just to try to say to people, especially kids that are young, younger people that are struggling with being different, it's all right. Mm. You, you actually can celebrate it. You can enjoy it. It's fine. As long as you yeah. have other people around you, you can say, oh, yeah, he or she was different. So I can be different and be confident in it. Yeah, examples. Yeah, exactly. I can feel a TED talk coming on down the line, Pat. I think, like, you know, the Yanks are going to snap you up, mate. Um, <laughs> she'll see. I've already been asked to do the moth ones. I don't know if you've. You have? Yeah. Have you? Just, oh, but not to God, raise just to, Yeah, just, but that's more, the, more the, they have those moth evenings where it's just, you know, in a bar. They've got them all over cities all over the world. Um, yeah. Not at the moment, obviously. Um, but when they start up, yeah. I think I'm going to do it down in uh, down in East London, uh, where I'm down DJing once. So I'll just fit that in as well. Oh, I've just moved from East London. That's very selfish of you. Um, <laughs> I'm 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 now in Dis, uh, well Dis-ish, in Norfolk, South Norfolk. So oh, no, that's cool. Norfolk's yeah. the coolest. It's beautiful. Norfolk's beautiful, and that's yeah. where the the posh people hang out. The very 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 posh people hang out. <laughs> There is a part of North Norfolk that's very wealthy, isn't there? A lot of wealthy people go there. God, and there's a lot of North London money now, and uh, mm. London money in 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 Norfolk. People just basically buying up huge chunks of the of, of the countryside, what have you. It's quite a bit sad. Um, we are adding to that problem, Pat. But anyway, um, I, w- I want to talk to you about your um, your your family because what I love about the early stages of the book is like how you how you really clearly set aside your your love, admiration, respect for your mum and dad. Um, and obviously the relationship with your dad, you, you kind of, it weaves in and out of the book, mm-hmm. particularly as he makes trips to see you every single every single game, which to me is just mind-blowing. But um, it's really it's, it's really hard to, to phrase a question, right, that doesn't sound super cheesy. Uh, don't worry. How much did... How much did you love your dad, Pat? Like, um, what? Like, it's 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 so glorious. I love your love for him. It's wonderful. It's it's fantastic that um, the the finish of the story is amazing because uh, my dad's no longer with us, but uh, yeah. being a part of our relationship is even better. It's really, really brilliant. And it's, it's funny as well. Um, but because we, you know, we and like any son, there'll be periods where you go, oh, da, you know. But I always knew he was looking out for us all. And I I would kind of kind of live my life a wee bit backwards anyway. I was really quite serious and earnest when I was younger. And I got lighter and lighter and lighter as I got older. And I was always having a bit of laughs as well. But I was earnest enough to know when I was very young that I adored the fact that my dad has given his whole life to all of us. You know, six kids and my mum. And just given so much of his life and his time and his thought and his consideration. It was just completely selfless. And it, it wasn't an effort. It was because he loved yeah. doing it. And I just thought, and the last words ever to my dad, he was dying, was, thanks for showing me how to be a father. I mean, you, you know, which is the most you can possibly do. And I hope I can be half as good as you were, uh, to me. And they, looking at um, those moments, there's a great moment. There's one of the pictures that, that hasn't, made, you've not, you don't get the pictures in your version, they come in the full version. But there's a, there was a picture of my dad, and I followed him to work one morning when I was 18 or something. I got up one morning at half five to to walk behind him to work, to down to the train station, because we weren't, he was in working and started two hours before we got there. 
when we were young and uh, the dog walked him down and I've taken these yeah. pictures of my dad because I was into photography a wee bit at that point and it's so poignant it's so fabulously poignant the dog and my dad and um, and I just always knew like you care for us and you will do everything for us and you're not even trying it's just so natural so really adored them for that I mean like everybody you know everyone has weaknesses in their personality um, but his weaknesses were caring a bit too much <laughs> which is not a bad weakness and also acute, what was acutely aware of was that I come, as I say, I come up for a really rough part of Glasgow. The other dads all weren't like that. You know, they all had their weaknesses and strengths, but nobody else was doing what he was doing. I mean, nobody. Yeah. And because you are able to have that, that family spirit, but the public spirit in this as well, to do all it. I, I was acutely aware of that when I was like six. I knew what he was doing. Yeah. Never said anything, never wanted any applause for it or anything. He just yeah. did it. And that's kind of. I suppose the reason why I like him that much is because, and I love him that much, is because that's how I want to be. That's how I've tried to be. You know, if you can have good fun in your life, then fine. But in the midst of it, you've got to give something to society. You know, and by the way, that's selfish in itself because there's such a joy in giving something to society. It's <laughs> beat your time, your effort. Doesn't no, Nobody needs to know. That's yeah. it. Maybe that's the thing in the culture that I'm uncomfortable with now is the fact that if anyone ever does anything, or not anyone, but a lot of people do, you, you don't have to hear about it, and you hear about it all yeah. the time. And I spent most of my life doing things that nobody knew about, and, and then they come out, and you know later on in years to come. So I thought, well, in actual fact, that's one other reason to read the book, write the book, was you know what, I'd rather the right story come out as opposed to you know right, yeah. So that's you know. Which takes us back to all the racism stuff I was involved in. And yeah, yeah. But that had started long before I was football. That was definitely was yeah. But I mean, because of the sectarianism as well. But I mean, I I just yeah, I think it really touched me. Like I, I don't think that an awful lot. I don't really read an awful lot, a, an awful lot of uh, sports um, people's autobiographies. I, I don't know why. I whatever. I don't know. No, I don't. Um, no and, and yeah, um, but but yours. I'm not just saying this, you know, I, I, I really, really, I, you know, I tweeted you and I was like, I've, I've got to get Pat on the, on the podcast. I didn't, and I didn't even know you had a book. And I was like, I've always wanted to talk to you. Um, and, and then I thought it was going to be a payoff, but I didn't realize it'd be that quite a bigger payoff quite mm -hmm. so early on in the book just to know, Oh, he's a really nice guy. Okay. I get this now. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. So what do you think, like, what did you learn the most from your, your dad and what kind of like stayed with you through that, um, the, con the cornerstones as I say, of your the, life? You know, the, the importance of doing something else, if you do everything for yourself, I don't know what benefit there is out of it. I don't get any benefit. I, mean, I come up with a life that we didn't have any great value or interest in you know, things. I didn't want to own anything. We didn't want to own anything. But we really valued company, friendships, experience. And they sound like very modern things, but that's what we were kind of like growing up. So I've learned that, learned the importance of my dad and my mum of the education is so important. Um, you know, you, it's not just for, you know, to get exam results, nothing got to do with that really, or very little got to do with that. And it's everything got to do with, you know, you're on this earth for a wee while. 
So go and learn as much as you can and you learn more about yourself from that. Yeah. And you'll be able to help others more through that as well. So, you know, that's definitely the sort of thing that was, I almost want to say drilled in. The thing is, it was never drilled in. It's just by osmosis. So, and that's the sort of phrase that I say in football, slaughter me. Because <laughs> you can't say osmosis if you're a footballer, you're not allowed to. Um, no. <laughs> and that's that, that kind of, and, it, and also, I said the other thing about my dad, uh, and I, I, could, I could have written a book about my dad, you know, easy. But one of the things was, he was himself. Now, the culture where other parents are in there, many of them would have been drinkers. Many of them would have, you know, not shown any great interest in their family, gone to work and fell asleep in front of the telly with beers and a fag. You know, he didn't do any of that. He, yeah. he did his own thing. He was ultra, ultra caring and considerate to my mum. Every penny he ever got was given to my mum immediately. Hmm. And now, considering this is a working man for the East End of Glasgow, that was not yeah. the done thing in the time. But if any other man would say, oh, why, you know, going out for a pint with the lads and the rest of it, he would just say, because I don't want to. I want to go home my wife. Yeah. You know, and having yeah. the confidence to be that, even he was an outsider in his way, um, although he was incredibly gregarious with most people he met and was through his whole life, and much loved by everyone he met as well. Yeah. But, you know, he didn't feel as if that needed to be something else. You just be yourself. So, you know, he didn't tell us that, but as a family, every one of us just, you know, just that's the way we went. And it, Lead no by arrogance. example. There's no arrogance in it. There's not, it's yeah. just, that's a brilliant, it's a, it's a way to be, it's a comfortable way to be. And if you start going looking at it philosophically, which it was a slight temptation to go through that in the book, but then my last book was about, Psychology, so I, I didn't want to go down that line. <laughs> it's been done before. Um, but philosophically, you will be a happier person if you're more at one with yourself with those sort of things in life. So, yeah, but that takes work, doesn't it? That takes work. I mean, really, I mean, if you're coming from like um, personal happiness and, and mind, and like, you know, trying to be more mindful in the moment, that. That, that is quite tricky and, and quite often in life it's just easier to just go on Amazon or watch something, binge something on Netflix rather than sit down and do the work. Um, do, you, do you think that's a modern thing? And, and do you, can, can you sort of like com, compare your time growing up with, with kids and what they're dealing with now? Oh, what a good question. <laughs> what a great question. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard. Everyone's experiences are different. I mean, you can sit here and think, well, you're moaning and complaining because you know you you've, you're not I, I'm, they're not resilient enough because you can't cope when they've not got their iPhone in school with them and you're thinking yeah good luck have a wee look 30 years back 40 years back see what it was like uh, and the things that we take for granted now but that's because we take them for the, the kids now take them for granted it's their core where they were and we had much, much less we took for granted. But then again, I took for granted safety and security and love with my family. I had all those things that maybe those kids kind of didn't have. Um, but so I won't, I've never been much of a, um, oh, I can't be bothered with the kids of the day or the, you know, the music of today or all that sort of stuff. You've got to yeah. and look at the times. But there's nothing wrong. You'll probably know right at the start of the book, the reason why I wrote the book is this. I, I hadn't written a preface and they told me, 
about a day or four before it was going, could you write a preface? And I went, really? And then immediately, within 10 seconds, I thought, oh, I know what to write. And it was the story of what actually prodded me into writing it, which was this guy telling me to write this rubbish. And yeah, I love it. It's great. That kind of told me, that's the only, that's the only story of, well, wait a minute, modern life is going a certain way. And everything, or a lot of things, are judged by, you know, what's happening on social media, Twitter, or whatever. In actual fact, I've never held by it. I've just said, no, no, that's a very small percentage of the people. It might be 10%, 15% on Twitter or whatever. You're allowed to be yourself. And it's what I try to explain to youngsters, or have done since the, the birth of um, social media, etc. Just because it's there, it, doesn't, it shouldn't control you. And they would always look at me in the same way and say, oh, man, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you know, I, I just might. I just might. Because you'll find out that See those 500 people that follow you allegedly like you? I bet you they're not really all your closest friends. It's probably <laughs> a good idea. Now, not in these COVID times because it's different. But it's probably a good idea to find out who your real friends are as opposed mm. to cultivating many, many hundreds of friends who you have to, like, it's like a huge farm. You have to keep on tending all this. And in actual fact, but we don't especially know but yeah, so especially lockdown as well, right? There's this, you know, I mean, God, I can't remember the last time I had a unparanoid conversation with a bunch of friends in a in a pub, and I've kind of feel like I'm 40 now. I've I've reached my threshold of friends because I'm a bloke, and we tend to be like that. But um, I feel for the kids out there who who don't even just get to have basic social. I mean, obviously they're going to go back to school soon, but it's like it's all under a cloud, and and I'm worried about the damage. That has been caused, but um, yes, I know. I've just told you about my dad. He grew up during yeah. the war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's five exactly. years. That's five years of war. That's yeah. you know possible death, possible all that stuff, losing brothers and things like that. You know. Mm. Yes, you, there will be perspective. An effect. Yeah, there will be an effect. There is in most generations. There's been a big generation, I was one of them, who didn't get hit with too much of it. There's a wee sneaking feeling in the back of your mind that we might all get nuked at any moment. But, you know, we never got that. But many generations have. And many generations, if given the opportunity, will be resilient. And it's helping them mm -hmm. to be resilient. And resilient isn't, oh, I've got my team with me and we're all resilient together and, oh, I can't do this. No, no, resilient is helping you cope and helping you be strong when you have to be strong. And that's maybe, I would less, maybe slightly less worry about what people are thinking of these terrible effects of the worrying year they've had, etc. as opposed to the effect that people tell them you can't cope with this, so you don't cope with it. Okay, yeah. Don't be, yeah, yeah. Don't be, care, don't be careless towards people. Yeah. Help people get, not just complain about, oh my goodness, it's terrible, we'll never go over this. No, no, we yeah. will, and this is how we all do it, and, and work together and help people. Yeah, I like, I do like that. That's that's, uh, yeah, that's quite a cool way of looking at it. In my in my mind, I'm maybe I'm leaning towards the, um, oh, I don't know what I'd call it. I think yeah, there's maybe like there's a bit of I, I want I'd use a phrase tough love perhaps just for want of a better expression, mm -hmm. but I think yeah, it's like you said, you know, you highlighted there the Second World War, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of people have compared Second World War and, and um, COVID-19, what have you. 
but yeah, no, that that's cool. But um, I I want to I want to <laughs> talk about your skills on the ball, but as a young boy um, to pivot yeah. away from uh, COVID nineteen, <laughs> and um, because I can't. I can't I mean, I can't. Okay, it's what you highlight in the book is it's, it's effort, right? It's, it's doing the ten thousand hours and having a basic set of skills, but then just absolutely working your ass off. That was within in um, in uh, I want to say coalition, but that's a very it's a big word for, between you and your dad. Basically, the relationship you and your dad had, where you know you would just um, he 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 drilled you, and and you just you just went with it. And, but but then people use a word there that kind of really jars with me. You say work. Keep on saying work. I didn't feel that work. <laughs> if I felt it work, yeah. I, probably, I wouldn't have done it. You know, because it, it wasn't work. It was a joy. And I loved the joy of actually the creativity. And the, the skill side of it is pure creativity. And you like being good at things. It's nice to be good at things. But seeing yourself improve and watching yourself improve, feeling yourself improve. It's a really good thing. And football, as, as you keep on saying, the, the dichotomy of the book being, I didn't want to be a footballer. I'm guessing I yeah. loved it, at least, if not more than any other player that played, because I was able to keep the joy of it. So, yes, I would have done all those hours, but I never went, oh, God, do we need to go out? Because if I said, no, no, oh, God, do I need to go out? I wouldn't have gone. And my dad wouldn't have asked yeah. me to go. Yeah, of <laughs> course not. I mean, like... It's just like a like a natural. Obviously, you have that natural skill, right? But there's a there is the commitment to those that out. You you know oh, yeah. you go through that the commitment that you put into it. That isn't that doesn't come naturally to some people. There's not like a natural that would feel like work to some people. I guess what I'm trying to find is like what was it innately in you? Was it inherently in you that sort of natural work ethic? Do you think from a very young age, or did you? We think it's in everything. Sorry. It's a Nevin thing. It's a family thing. Um, <laughs> right. We're all very like it. Um, and there's no arrogance. Uh, there's no... It's just... It's, it's probably a slightly Judeo-Christian thing, Christian thing of yeah. whatever talents you have, you make the best of them. So it goes back to that kind of whole concept. Um, but you make the best of them because you're enjoying making the best of them. Um, and we were all exactly the same. We were very competitive with each other. But not in a kind of snide, hateful way, in a kind of joyous way. I kind of watch the Amer- Americans. Are, are, Americans are of, often hated <laughs> around the world. <laughs> I don't look at American sports people. Honestly, they can be a joy. A lot to learn now. No, they've turned it around now, so it's all right yeah. if they vote the right guy in. Yeah, exactly. But over the years, I mean, they, the way they approach sports, like, something's quite interesting. I find quite interesting because they do it for the love of it as well. And that's kind of where we all were um, because we just like to maximize our potential at anything we did because we like doing it. Now, oddly enough, we were never, my dad never told us. Mum would sometimes say, you better get those results. And, you know, we all did quite well educationally. Um, but I didn't never say then as to my daughter. And look at my daughter sometimes like a clone, honestly. <laughs> Only better than me, anything I did. Um, so there's a good story about her, um, which, yeah, I, she can be a smart little girl when she was little. And of course, she had a doctor now, so obviously she was a lot smarter than me, it turns out. But I remember she <laughs> she played, uh, I don't know if it was in the book, I can't remember if it was in, but she played tennis when she was seven or eight, and immediately became 
you know, county champion. And then somebody, they asked her to play badminton. And she said, oh, I'll, I'll play badminton. She goes and plays badminton. But like me, plays badminton, as in really plays it. So after right. about six months, uh, I took her to training. And uh, the coach wasn't there. So I said, well, I've played a bit of badminton tennis my time. I can move. I've got a couple of games off of Adam L. Croft one. So, you know, I can play a bit. She beat me 15 love, 15 love. She must have yeah. been about 11. And uh, I, I didn't know she would, see, I didn't know she was going to be Scottish champion two years later, right? But <laughs> it's such a thing that we like. We just do it, you know, and do it right yeah. and commit to it a little bit. And I kind of, but I consistently said to her all the way through it, and it's the biggest thing I could ever say, the minute you stop enjoying it, don't do it. And then one day she just turned around and said, uh, I want to be a doctor. And she was about 15 or 16. I went, getting into the Commonwealth Games and becoming a doctor, you need straight A's and everything like that. It's, it's going to be tough. And she, badminton racket, down. Didn't pick it up for five years. <laughs> and it's just, and it's a kind of, but it didn't hurt to do it. So, no, this is what I do. So it's, it's a, a, a commitment for something you, you, you love. And that is what it is. And it's, the thing that gets me a wee bit is that you can actually do quite a number of things at the same time. But be quite committed to them if you do like them. And that's that's another one of the biggest things you can learn in life. I think, and I have learned anyway, is that do the, if you can possibly do the things you love, and if you can get working at something you love, you'll be better at it. It's not complicated. Yeah. I know, I know. God, where, where were you 30 years ago? Um, <laughs> uh, playing ruddy football. Um, just, yeah, just... Um, because it's really annoying, man, because I've got so much I want to talk talk to you about. We haven't got four hours. Anyway, if you um, don't get through if you don't get through what you want to get through. When's this podcast? Are you doing this? Are you writing this out as, as a podcast? I need to know. Yeah, this is a podcast, but it goes out in May after the book's out. So. Good. If you want to do a part two later, you know, in okay. two weeks' time. I mean, this week's okay. stuffed, but next week's yeah. free. So if you want to do another one, we'll add to the back, don't worry. And you can That's edit. very sweet of you. That's very no sweet of you, Pat. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love your because um, it's the accidental footballer, right? And there's there's this thing running, you know, up to a point, it, you know, when you have to just say no more, right? Of for now, no more university, mm-hmm. and um, but it runs from such an early age, you know, this 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 understanding, love of education, love of literature, mm-hmm. love, you know, love of learning, essentially, mm-hmm. and um, which speaks speaks to me even someone who massively failed at school but is now very much you know in love with reading and learning um what the accidental footballer when did that start i mean when did it really start kicking in for you like the because you know obviously you said you know you love playing football it was never working it was there was the dichotomy between the two but when did you really feel it first like when was there like the first pull between like um, um, I think the two ne- worlds. I'd never I honest and it's an absolute truth I'd never considered it to be a professional football never crossed my mind but when I signed for Celtic as a schoolboy I was 13 14 people would start going mm, you're going to be a famous footballer no I'm not I'm a school kid hundreds and hundreds of kids of schools kids are signed by these clubs and you know I I just do it because it's fun um, and I I didn't care really greatly whether it was signed for Celtic. They were my team. I supported them at the same. Um, but, you know, 
so what? It didn't make any difference. Didn't go and tell everybody at school. I didn't try and get the girls through that. That's not what I was doing. Um, but it was nice to be noted that you were quite good at what you were doing. But it never at any point I thought, yeah, I could maybe be doing that. There was never a draw of the crowd. I didn't have that. Never had it. Yeah. Um, which I, I know probably makes me slightly odd. You probably may, so. may not remember. Yeah. Well, maybe, but, you know, I, I, I always knew from a young age, uh, if I met a girl who fell in love with me, that would be better than 40,000 people falling in love with me. <laughs> I thought oh, that was my man. Obvious. I just thought That's I was so, always. It's so good, though. It's so sweet that you figured out at such an early age. I have right. to say, I probably would have felt the same way. I'm a big, fat, fucking dead per society kind of guy, I'm afraid. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was yeah. like that, right? So, so, the, so it's not an odd thing for me to be like that. Um, but I can't, I, I, there was, there actually wasn't a thing. I'd love to say, oh, there six months where I really thought about it and really considered yeah. it. No, I'm afraid it never, ever happened. And, it, and as I say, it never happened, even when I became a footballer. So yeah. it's a bit daft. But this is another one of the, the main dichotomies. It doesn't, matter, doesn't mean you don't work as hard. It doesn't mean I possibly don't work harder than anybody else who's doing it. Put more hours than anyone else. Fanatically fit. Loved running. Utterly joyous about fitness. And I've, I've kept that to this day. I still have that. And it's one of them, probably addicted to the endorphins, which is great. Um, yeah, I can only so, see you off torso, but you look very in shape, Pat. <laughs> not too bad. The, the two metal hips on they don't help much, but that's that's my fault. So so those fullbacks keep telling me. Um, but so there was, I did I didn't I just never had it, and it was never there. Uh, but other things were there, such as I quite like to be happy. Uh, quite to meet the girl of my dreams kind of thing. Um, so that's what I wanted. And if I knew by that age that I would gauge success by that, not by, you know, my material worth or material things or, you know, what people thought of you in the third person purely because they saw something that you said about you. And there was a great quote by Matt Johnson from the there. Was, How can anybody know me when I don't even know myself? Kind of, it's a wee bit like that, you know. I, I kind of hope yeah. I, I learned to know myself quite early and accept myself when I changed as well. Um, yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people at the time want to know who they are by what other people think. I kind of never felt that way. It's very, well adjusted, I think, is the is the phrase, isn't it? Very well adjusted. Like you've got a real path of happiness running through your life. Um, it's not, it's not, I mean? like, it's not always easy. Okay, not happiness, but you know what I mean. Like, no, sorry, like the kind of like um, respect for happiness, the the path of ha the pursuit of mm -hmm. happiness. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got a real respect for that um, throughout your your whole life. At least that that's what your book tells me. Yeah, and you, and you should have. There was a great quote uh, by Humphrey Littleton, uh, the great jazz player, and also the guy who done Vibrant News for You, um, genius of a man, great sense of humor. Um, but he said, while you sort of strive for all these great things in life to get, never ever forget the utter importance of, this, of being silly, you know, because yeah. right in the midst <laughs> of it all, remember you've got to be silly as well. Because see, if you're not, you're probably not being, you know, being really happy. And it's just knowing that, right, okay, pursuit of happiness is one thing, but 
you know, don't get uptight about it. You know, annoy, enjoy the the, the 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 road while you're on it. So yeah. it was a right kind of comfort that. But I mean, you've got to remember when you're lucky as well. I know all the bits of luck I had, the parents I had, family I had. Got yeah. lucky with a job, you know, got the backing of my family. I went to do a degree at a time when you got a grant. All that, all that sort of stuff. You, you, you have to accept your luck and A, use it, and B, don't take it for granted. But the happiness yeah. thing, is, it's a great question you're asking me there, because I'm happy you asked me that, because it's at, at the base of everything. Um, I'm surrounded, we're surrounded just now with what we're all going through. And honestly, I walk about like a Cheshire cat most of the time. And I'm <laughs> everybody else. I've got difficulties, I've got problems. We've got, you know, my son's autism is not easy. There's difficulties with that. But yeah. I'd kind of much rather look at the positives of Simon's autism and say, can't believe you've done what you've done. 20 years ago, we yeah. thought you'd never manage all these things. So you can live in the negatives if you want, and they sometimes get to you. So, but in the midst of it all, always remember that, look, there's a positive, there'll be positives there, and try and live with them. That's not to say that, you know, for some people living with those sort of difficulties is not, you know, incredibly hard. And, you know, I, I look at what Simon's dealt with and how he's coped with it, and think, well, wait a minute, I've got damn cheek to be unhappy about anything. Considering what he's dealt with through his life, so it's it's it, that's perspective. That is real. Perspective. Yeah, yeah, perspective. The reminders, definitely, definitely in your life. Um, I'm reminded of the Undateables, so the Channel Four series, which mm. is basically incredible. There's another one on Netflix as well, which is equally, if not slightly better. Um, that always is a tearjerker and a constant reminder of how unbelievably lucky you and I, people like us, are. You know. Well, you, 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 if you ever heard me on radio, now and again, I'm doing uh, Radio 5 Live or TV or whatever, you know, and a football goes down and pretends to be injured when he's not. And the complete lack of sympathy for me, it's just always been there. <laughs> I mean, 20 years ago, I was, uh, 20 years ago, I was doing, I'd done a few match of the days and I was doing stuff with Colin Murray. He was doing match day two at the time. And I was saying, oh, I love we've, got, we've got to, we absolutely got to get a section of match of the day for cheat of the week, right? Because if we get cheat of the week in, it will stop them doing it. Because you won't want to be cheat of the week twice. And yeah, we, yeah. I'd say to Colin, Colin asked the BBC and they've bottled it. No way they were doing that. <laughs> the, yeah. Of course, they're now doing it with Savage and, what's his name, um, uh, what's his name, Sutton. They're doing this. Yeah. That's exactly the idea I gave him 20 years ago to do it on telly, to stop the cheating and diving. It would have, it would have worked, but nobody would have take on the clubs. So it could what, have had it effect. What would work even better is just red cards, but um, that's a completely different subject. Retrospectively, right? red cards. Yeah. Well, yes, I, went down, I, had, I had a chat with Kelly Cates a couple of weeks ago and... Um, we were talking about VAR and it just went on for two. Kelly and I were just like, this has gone on for too long. We've got to stop talking about VAR. It's just like a wormhole. It's a black hole. Once you go into it, we don't know what happens to our minds. Once you go into a VAR conversation, we, yeah. you know, I, I'm into astro astrology. We don't know. So let's not talk about VAR. We could die. Um, let, but let, let's talk about, um, let's talk about, because what I love is in, there's a passage in, in, in your book that I've highlighted when you, when you first, go down to London and you really get in 
you get immersed in it you know for mm. like the first few few times and the, the gigs and 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 playing for Chelsea what have you um I can completely I've wrapped myself in that world um not playing for Chelsea but I'm mm. um, going up to London when I was like 16 17 18 onwards um mm. on the train from Surrey countryside all the way up into Waterloo all the way up or, you know, an hour on the train felt like you know a different world right and um I really um connected with you in that in that part of the book like um what was it like being in london living in those squalory digs that you you <laughs> you portray so well in those books and but also loving it um do you know it's everybody it's not just if you happen to be you know playing for chelsea and great gigs and being in london and meeting john peel um it's brilliant i think most people look a lot of people look back in that age between 18 and 22 and it's spectacularly special well, if you add the things that I had on top of it, it just shows you how amazing and glorious the time it was. But even in the midst of that, I thought, I don't want this to be my whole life. You know, this is just a part of it. So enjoy it as much as possible. Get the best out of it. Never complain, never moan. Just go on with it. Mm-hmm. The real thing about that, a real problem with that, I hate people moaning about things that, that are not right. Um, I took a line out of the book that was in it. Um, and it was about... I travel sometimes with TV people and they complain if X, Y, or Z isn't done so. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm not having that. I'm just not having it. Yeah. Get yourself together, you loser. And my attitude was always like, take the joys out of it. So if, if I was stuck somewhere and getting a bit cold and couldn't find a, a tube or they'd stop running or whatever, and hey, wait a minute, I've been at a gig and that was brilliant. That keep me happy yeah. for a while. And you know, there's, there's a lot of people like that out there. The problem is we do tend to hear on the news what are the people who are having a ter- terrible time, and lots of them have a good right to complain. But you also hear of a lot of people you're thinking, oh, shut up, you <laughs> know, get on with life. <laughs> and I just loved the fact that there were there was glorious things happening to me all the time. And yeah. and I'd go and see new bands that I hadn't seen before. And I I had to, I did a read of the book recently. I did, it's going to be an audio book as well. So, and I had to react. That was a question. They told me they wanted it to be an audio, but it got quite a good reaction for one or two people they sent it out to. I went, oh, that's great, an audio, but who's going to read it? And they went, you? And I went, me? <laughs> what me to do it for? You, get, you, get, well, you could get you somebody see? good. <laughs> mm-hmm. but anyway, I, re- I reread it for the audio book. And the thing about it was, is I kept on thinking the bits I've missed out because I can only give flavors. So I'll, I'll tell you about a, a certain class gig or a cocktails gig or a new order gig, but I can't tell you about the men they couldn't hang. I can't tell you about fuzzball gig. I can't tell you about millions and millions. Of, and it's just a f- kind of flavour. And that's the thing about it. When you ask the question, what was London like? Well, I could go to a gig every other night. You know, and yeah. it would be, it'd be something I'd never heard before. It would be something brilliant. And magazine would play a track that I thought was one of the best things I'd ever heard. And it's the first time I'd heard it. And, I got to see all these bands that you look at and you think people would have died to have seen those first gigs that I went to see because there was always one of these people who would go and see new bands. So I'd see mm. them as the support. And I, I don't know if it was left in the book, I can't remember all the things but it, but I remember going to see Simple Minds early days and the support act was you too. You know, it's like, yeah, oh, it was only about 30 or 40 people there. It was really weird. God, uh, it was oh, just, man. And it's lovely. So you too. And they, I mean, Bonnie was climbing up on the stage and over the top of it. 
it was amazing. It was uh, just before October, came out the second album. Anyway, so yes. so I was seeing things like this. That was from Glasgow, but when you go to London, I'm seeing the same things. I'm seeing yeah. stuff and bands and ideas, and then I've learned a lot more about theatre and the other arts that I liked as well. And of course, you're in London. Hurrah! Yeah. <laughs> you're going to right. see the best of everything, and especially if you're interested enough to go and learn, which I was. Um, so you you set limits and time out and all the rest of it. You just go and learn and you read. And if you're a reader of the, you know, the quality newspapers, you'll get to see what's going on artistically as well. So yeah. I was, it was a brilliant, brilliant time of being young, um, being successful in the job, which was great, being happy and not expect, no expectations whatsoever, getting enough money quite quickly to be able to go and do these things. Now, I wasn't minted by any manner of means, but <laughs> what I needed, I had the money to go and do that. So it was, it was such, such a joyous time. And I, I meet friends still that are, were friends then, are still friends. And they'll say, do you remember the night when, and it was something I haven't thought about for 35 years. And it's yeah. what a joy, because it's, and for them it was a special night, but I, had, I was fortunate I had so many of them because there was so much going on. So this, I guess what you've done there really, really well is paint a picture of how much of a footballer you do, you do not sound like. And I mean, that's kind of the premise, not the premise of this, but that's a bit too strong. But it's the underlining current of this book is just how anti-typical footballer you are. Um, not anti as in like you would, because yeah. clearly you loved your teammates, but like, you know, in terms of looking at a footballer and going, I didn't, you know, football, football players are more like, you know, like that, and they, you know, drink all night and all that. And there's plenty of that going around. But what was it like being, because uh, I had a little bit of that when I was at school. Uh, I had a little bit of navel gazing. I think it was a little bit of me deliberately setting myself against people because I wanted to be about me. <laughs> and I've I've learnt that going getting older. But for you, what what was it like? <laughs> what was it like having a nose in the enemy with like, you know? hard asses around you going, what the fuck are you doing, Nevin? I get me got that all the time. Yeah, right. Not with all the players, but some of the players, everywhere I went. Um, and if I had less belief in myself, but I always knew that, you know, other people that I would meet out with football were interested in the arts, were interested in theatre, reading normal things, movies, you know, all those things. And if these people were winding me up for that, problem really wasn't mine the problem was theirs so maybe that sounds like an arrogance but i'm thinking and i was again i don't know if i use the line in a bit i probably do they called me weirdo and i'm looking i'm going no no you lot are the weirdos i'm normal <laughs> <laughs> i'm really normal um and i think i am and to this day i still think i'm the most normal one if you look at most footballs in the life they live and how they live their life the way they drive their cars the way they're in gated communities huh? couldn't be like that. I'd have to live a normal life. Um, because it seems a bit, maybe if that's what you always wanted and that's what your joy is. So I thought, always thought they were the, the, the weird ones. The thing is with football is, which I learned out from psychology quite early on, and I, I suppose if you get six, five siblings, you learn it quickly as well. If you're trying to wind me up, either you're trying to bully me, and I know most bullies are just weak, they're just hiding weakness, that weakness that they've got. So if I want, I'll go and find your weakness and I'll dig you up about that and I'll wind you up about that. And I, the, the most common weakness, and I'll tell you what it is in a minute, right? But most of the time, it's just a test. 
So the wee, the wee guy in the corner who's dressed with a leather, leather jacket and ripped jeans and T-shirt with a band that nobody's ever heard of and all that stuff, well, they're all trying to look dead smart for the girls. And, and, I'm, and, I'd, and I'm sitting there like, yeah, wind up if you like. You're wasting your time. I don't care. <laughs> if, you were, if you were my everything, you were my, it's an REM something. If you were everything to me, then, if you were everything to me, then I would be worried about it and I'd go home and concern. But I'm not going to go home and worry about it. I'm going to go and see my mates after that. I'm going to see my girlfriend after this. I'm going to see a gig after this. I'm going to do it's not going to really bother me that much. So it was a test. I knew I could beat the test. Um, but now and again, one or two, you could tell it was absolute stick on. It was a deliberate attempt at bullying. And the vast majority of bullies, the, the same thing always work. Always work. Same thing. Individual. Yeah. Get them on their own. Say, right, what's your problem? Talk to me. Explain. And they explain it. Really? Try and explain it. But they wouldn't do it because they only ever done that stuff when they were with their mates. And, you know, there's something odd about a wee guy at five foot six foot one school looking at you. Even if you're six foot, staring <laughs> straight at you and going, come on, what's your problem? And <laughs> the amount of people that crumple in that moment is extraordinary. So it's one of the things about... So it's a verse... And bullies can be bullying for a variety of reasons. And it's, and it's usually a fear of something. Maybe difference, something don't understand. Give them a chance to understand. But I have to say, the only one, and it's in the book, the one guy that got to me, uh, it's quite talked about, about him as Speedy. And uh, him and I just had this extraordinary relationship of everything. I, we're just total opposites. And uh, and I, think I eventually figured him out. You know, it took me quite a while to figure him out. It was, all, it was, it was quite simple in the end. Um, but I, I couldn't get my head around it. I always thought we, should, we are a team. We should be a team. And, yeah. And although footballers, and this is a, a very difficult dichotomy, although footballers have to be selfish, you kind of have to be. Part of you on the field has to be selfish to be individual. So selfish you want to beat that guy in front of you. And also the guy beside you, you want his job kind of thing. But you, you have to be able to meld that into a team spirit. And that's, that's the real trick. And that's why I, my first book was about psychology, because I found that psychology so complex and so interesting. Um, so that, that, that was maybe the most difficult one. But anyone else in that in, over the years and again? Uh, I, yeah, I just didn't. Yeah. And then I suppose, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you got the opportunity to skin them, right? Go around them a few times, not make them a trillion times. <laughs> Um, that's actually a bit in the book that I really love when you say hi to your dad by doing some trickery on the football pitch because he's you know mm. you very rarely got to see him after a match because he'd had to go back home and and that was quite I mean that's quite heartbreaking but also speaks to who your dad was and um, who you are and uh, it was it was it was quite cool I used to think of like an RAF fighter plane doffing its wing as a suit. <laughs> it's like your way of doing it on the pitch. And of course, it, it's I've, I've, one or two people know about that now. And they all go, wow, that's amazing. I'm going, really? That's a perfectly reasonable, normal thing to do. Can't see him. I'll, show, I'll, I'll say hi in this way. Because if I wave up there, I'm just waving at 10,000 people. It's right, kind of okay. Yeah. If, if you're doing a special thing and at the end of it, 
he would turn around and give a wee glance up to the general area. Yeah. You know, he'll be going, yeah. <laughs> and that's good. <laughs> and that's great. That's a lovely thing yeah, to do. Yeah. It's, yeah, but it's, the NARC, I was very fortunate I was able to do that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And maybe, maybe I did think in a different way in those things. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll grant you that. I'll give you that. Maybe that was yeah. quite unusual. I'm just going to ask you if I can record a minute or two of this for a for YouTube thing that I'm trying to start up. Go for it, Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, go for it. I don't know if it's going to work and it'll probably my computer might die. And you, it might ask you for permission if I, or has it? Is it just I'll put it in the way. It's half time in the game, so don't worry if I'm missing that. Oh, is it? What is it? Nil nil, is it? No, no. One nil to the Everton. Richarlison. Oh, God. Sorry. Uh, that's fine. Mate, I'm not bothered, but it's like I said, I just, I'm really glad we're having this chat so I don't have to watch the game. <laughs> it's got that bad um but yeah no i just um because i i did i what the, the the part of the book that really spoke to me the most i think i um i think obviously the tragedy uh, around uh, homophobia in football as, as well um you know and also what you you saw uh with players like graham nasso and what have you um and robbie fowler and all that crap and i know that there has been an effort to try and um correct some of that and I spoke with that about Kelly Cates but Kelly obviously hasn't played but she's pretty much done everything but play um like what was your how do you deal well, with my, that I mean well, first my, and foremost well, I dealt with that at school and well, to me, what, what was interesting is first of all there was no way I was going to write that book without a chapter in homophobia no chance good you know and people are you know if you write a book and you think it's a book about me and it's, it's a chapter about homophobia I happen to be straight. People would think that's weird. It's not weird. It's exactly the way it should be. Because you should be highlighting things. And hopefully I've done that through many, there's obviously chapters on racism. There's a chapter that largely deals with paedophilia in football as well. And yeah. I suppose if you read that, you're thinking that's not a very cheery book, <laughs> you know, but it's kind of not like that. It's just explaining all the things that were happening at the time. And it needs to be in there though. And, and it has to be. And I, I couldn't not do that. Uh, but the homophobia thing I've, I'm very strong on because in the midst of all the years of campaigning for the anti-racism stuff since, oh, since 83, 84, um, it was never just racism for me. It was everything. It was everything that's going to be in any way, you know, be it sectarianism, be it homophobia, be it, it doesn't matter. We're all just people here trying to do the job and it shouldn't matter in the slightest. And I was always just very, very committed to that. And no, no campaign's better than that one. Not, they're just the same. I mean, they're just the same. Women in the game should be more. All that sort of stuff. It was all pushed together. And um, so the homophobia thing I was really keen to do, um, because in the midst of it, I also wanted to put the humour in, because it was quite funny bits. There's a kind of funny bit about me opening a letter at one point. I don't know if you smiled. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a guy. Of, it's, he's, in, he's in the nip, isn't he? Like, yeah, exactly. It's like you, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you could put yourself in that exact position at that moment as anyone could. <laughs> and it's, and, and so in the midst of all that, there has to be a message, right? So a lot of things you do, you do for a message. But hopefully it's not a battering it into your head message and you go, no, oh, this is very worthy. Hopefully you're reading that and thinking, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm on side and oh, by the way, I'm having a real laugh as well. But we know that then, and that's the delicacy we've got these days. I didn't write with a moment's worth of wokeness in my head, right? Not a moment. <laughs> so I may have offended a few people along the line, and I'm, I'm deeply sorry. I just hope 
that people understand the real reasons for writing everything I wrote and the meanings behind it. But yeah. I wanted also the, the humour to be in there as well. It was really, really important. And the bigger story is, it's back to that thing. You're allowed to be an outsider. You're allowed to yeah. be who you are. And that's one of the very last things that have, you know, barriers that we have to bring down. And as I say, you know, when that first big main player comes out, um, there'll be a whole bunch of us standing shoulder to shoulder. And I think people get the biggest shock of their lives how many of us will be standing shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or it'll just be like, it won't be that big a deal. For, it'll be a big deal for a little bit and then we'll just yes. move on. hundred yeah. percent. This is my thing. And again, there are certain, and I have talked to various magazines in you know, the LBGTQ community who have said, no, no, football's homophobic. They don't know yet. You only find out when. And I know yeah. it's going to be hard to be that first person now. But the world has moved on since I mean, Justin Fashion was the last one. The world has moved on. The kids that are coming out again now don't think that way anymore. They just don't. Mm. And even all the time, and the story's in it to, to explain that, even the people of the generation, of my generation and just before, they don't even think that way anymore. So, yeah. and it's to get that whole thing across. And I suppose if there's a, a, a meaning behind that chapter, number one, it's really important that you, you get it, that you are allowed to be an outsider and different and you shouldn't be different. We're all together. But number two is letting everyone know, hey, there's support here. And, yeah. you know, and hopefully not in too annoyingly earnest a way. I've this hour. Is long.